Welcome to the Like, Bite, and Share podcast, brought to you by Schweiden Sons. Learn the secrets of food and hospitality marketing from some of the best professionals in the food business. Here are your co-hosts, Rev Ciancio from Schweiden Sons and Brad Garoon from BurgerWeekly.com. Welcome to the show. What's going on, Brad? Actually, you know what? I'm not even going to ask you that question. You know why? Yeah, I do know why, but I'll let you tell everybody. <laughs> Well, normally we kick off the show, we talk about the last burger we had, or, you know, you ask me, Rev, what was a good burger you had? But I know what your answer is, because I ate it with you, and it was last night. Uh, and I want to tell the story so I can let you talk about the food. You down with that? Yeah, that sounds like a good plan. So I've had this dream for many, many years that on Thanksgiving Day, my family would allow me to cook the bird. And instead of like the regular stovetop, you know, still for stuffing, whatever, that I would use White Castle cheeseburgers as the stuffing. And every year I propose it and every year my family gives me a weirder and weirder look. And I was talking to Matt from Emily. Uh, for those of you who don't know, they're a pizza place in Brooklyn that are like the top of everybody's favorite burger list right now. It's delicious. And I said it to Matt at the time at Battle of the Burger that this is my dream. And he was like, yeah, that does sound good. I go, how cool would it be if we took your Emily burger, cut it up and made it into stuffing and put it in a turkey and made a Thanksgiving dinner? And he said, that's pretty cool. We should do it. Put it on the calendar. And I just kind of looked at him like, okay, you're appeasing me. And then like a day later, he's like, I'm serious. Are we doing this? So I was like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're doing it. We picked a date and Matt decided to, to up it a channel. Uh, and instead of taking his hamburgers and making them the stuffing and putting them in a turkey, he put them in a duck. <laughs> and me and Brad, uh, George Motes, uh, Mike from Gothenburger Social Club, and Mike Tanzillo from Burger Lift, who was on the podcast last week, uh, went and ate this last night. And Brad, that's where you come in. All right. Well, I'm glad that we're talking about this now because we hinted at it last week with Mike. Oh, this food. There's so much. <laughs> I'm having PTSD. So last <laughs> from, night. From eating? <laughs> it was just. As every dish came, my heart both sank and lifted at the same time. Sank because I was thinking, oh, I had a big lunch. And lifted because I was thinking, this is going to taste so good. And Matt Highland, the chef at Pizza Loves Emily and owner, he's not a stoic guy. He always has a smile on his face, but he's not boastful. He's very humble. And everything came to the table with a sense of, it all just felt very homey. Anyway, the first thing that he sat down in front of us was the bird with the burger stuffing so we got to see it all at once there were two of them it looked incredible it was glazed with uh emily burger sauce and it wasn't so photogenic but we took a million photos because that's the kind of people we are (laughs) chef matt even helped us with the lighting such a good guy (laughs) it it didn't look great it looked i mean uh, what a stuffed turkey always is going to look a little weird a stuffed duck even more so but we knew it was going to taste incredible and then he brought us the the stuffing just on its own and we poured Emily sauce all over it. And it was incredible. <laughs> I met people that, that it was it was it was soaked in a duck stock. Like a chicken stock would be I, my hands are shaking talking about this. <laughs> then he brought over the macaroni and cheese that had a jalapeno and it was smoked macaroni and cheese with jalapeno and there was uh, amazing Brussels sprouts with fish oil and uh, the duck itself was so crispy the he had deep fried the the wings, the the drumsticks uh, after Oh my God! And um, <laughs> he had... wait, there was more. I'm trying to remember. Uh, there was truffled mashed potatoes shot from a gun. Out of a gun! I just <laughs> sent him the video that I took. I, actually, I didn't just send it. It's like two in the morning. I woke up because my stomach was so slushy, sloshy, and I was like, eh, "Here's the video." 
<laughs> and, uh, and then he brought out the em- the Emmy Burger pizza, which is a deconstruction of the Emily Burger on a pizza. Incredible. Actually, all the pizza there is incredible, but that's what we ate. He brought out a lamb burger, which is right now off the menu, but will soon be, I think, more available there. Uh, by the time this airs, it, it might be on the menu. And the night ended with frozen banana pudding, which made oh. me remark, why is all the pudding not frozen except bread pudding? It was so good. It reminded me of summer camp. It was like the ice cream that you would take the lid off of. And it was, you know, it had the little like icicles. It, it felt fun. It was just fun to eat. And then we poured Michter's bourbon on top of it. Rev freaked out. I've never seen you geek out like that before. Started screaming at the table. Yes, that, 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 that. It was hilarious. I've never seen you look like such a child. I Over alcohol, no less. Well, I mean, it was alcohol and food, to be fair. I was ecstatic over the food. I mean, you know, smoked mac and cheese, you know, Emmy burger stuffed ducks, <laughs> roasted. I mean, you went over the list. It was it was insane. And the really fun part, uh, for me at least, maybe not so much for everybody else, is, uh, you know, Emily is not a Schweiden Sons customer, but that was part of the deals that Matt had to use our ground beef. And so I gave him a choice of whatever he wanted. <laughs> and instead of saying, like, you know, I want a chuck brisket or something, he's like, I need the Wagyu. So I sent him 20 pounds uh, of our Katana Blend fresh Wagyu. And that, so it wasn't just any meat, it was super high end <laughs> Wagyu ground beef. So I'm actually glad you brought that up because having been at the Food Film Fest last week, you know, you hear a lot that Wagyu beef, Kobe beef sort of loses its purpose when it gets ground into ground beef. And it was nice to see the Certified Angus Beef movie where it talks about why that's not the case because of the way that the fat content in Wagyu and Kobe beef still maintains its flavor in ground beef. And oh my freaking God, I'm going to get so Midwestern right now. But it was incredible. <laughs> I had it for leftovers for breakfast. I, I did. So last night, we, we're gonna, I know we're waxing enthusiastic on this a lot right now, but I just have a few more things to say. Rev, last night we talked about the double-double and the KFC chicken mashed potato bowl, and you sort of made a makeshift one on your plate. So we all got to make doggy bags for ourselves last night, and I just got to dig right into that this morning, which tastes like the same thing. With You got your jalapeno mac and cheese mixed with your truffle mashed potatoes mixed with your Emmy burger dressing i want to bang my head against the wall because i'll never get to eat it again (laughs) which brings up another question when you have people like us who post about the things we eat on the internet and we post about things that aren't readily available for everyone does that make us bad people i don't think so i think that makes us good people tell me why when we was just we're the food equivalent of a tease uh a little bit but you know what it wasn't you know we could have how do i put this There are people that go to eat at restaurants because they've seen the chef on TV or they, you know, they have their book or like there's some, there's some like famous element to it. Right. And then there are people that go to restaurants because the food is like really, really good. And you pointed out Matt's like a super humble guy, but he is ridiculously skilled. And the only thing he cares about is making people happy. And that's like the theme of the restaurant. So what did he do last night? He made us happy. He will do, you know, almost anything for any customer that walks in the door. Maybe not Emily's giving, as we've called it, but, you know, he'll he'll accommodate requests there. You know, I think what we did last night was a great branding moment to show that that's a really creative place with really good hospitality and really, really good food. And so, you know, I think we did right by Emily by sharing all of that. I'm not saying that we did wrong by Emily. I'm asking if we did wrong by the general public. 
I don't care. Okay. Wow. That was horrifying. <laughs> it was so good. Uh, anyone can look back at our Instagram and see what date we recorded today's podcast. It was a few weeks ago, right around Halloween. That was my <laughs> Halloween moment right there. Anyway, shall we talk to Liz? We should. We should. Tell the people a little bit about Liz. All right. Welcome Liz Basner from A&W to the Like, Bite, and Share podcast. Uh, if you're not familiar with A&W, and I don't know why you wouldn't be, uh, they're a quick-serve burger restaurant that was founded in Lodi, California in 1919. Uh, by 1923, they were franchising locations, making A&W the nation's first system of franchise roadside restaurants. Uh, their claim to fame is that they put frosty mugs on the map. Uh, the company now has more than 1,000 locations, and in 2013, they launched a new concept called uh, A&W Burgers Chicken and Floats. It features fresh made-to-order food focusing on fresh beef, hand-breaded chicken, and more. Uh, Liz is the Associate Manager of Digital Communications at A&W Restaurants. She oversees everything social, uh, is best friends with a root beer, used to be Al Gore's Communication Director, and one time, James Franco gave her a high-five. Liz... What has been the hardest part in taking a classic American brand into a digital future? That is a great question right from the start. Um, I think the really the hardest part was figuring out how we could be authentic and true to the brand um, while making sure that we really kept up with the times. Um, so like you said, A&W was founded in 1919. Um, and I'm sure when all of that happened, they weren't anticipating that there would be things like Facebook and Instagram and Yelp reviews to worry about um, and all of the social interaction and how connected everything is now. So we knew that we needed to bring the brand um, into the future, uh, make sure that we were keeping up with everyone. But at the same time, we want to honor our roots and make sure that we are true to all of the history that we have. So really just finding that balance of uh, maintaining authenticity, um, telling our, our brand story, um, but still being able to bring that into, into the modern age. When you started at A&W, what was going on with social media? So I started with A&W uh, at the very end of 2011. Um, and for the brand, uh, basically we had a website uh, that was outdated and was built in Flash. Um, and we had a Facebook page that had about 110,000 fans. Uh, and a Twitter account that had about 6,000 fans. Um, and nothing had really been done um, focusing uh, within the brand on social media itself. It had kind of been an afterthought or an extension of what all the other marketing people were doing. If they had time or they could remember, um, something would happen um, in, in the social sphere for A&W. Um, and it really was, I feel, when... It, Industry-wide, it was kind of when Taco Bell was starting to rule the world in terms of social media. Um, they were doing all kinds of cool, fun stuff, um, and it was right when restaurants really started to notice that this was a space that they needed to play in. So I feel like I kind of came in um, sort of at the end of the beginning of the social party, if that makes any sense. Definitely. How much leniency do you get from the brand and, and this may be an, a zinger question. How much how much leniency do you get in in what you want to do with social? You know, we're very fortunate. Um, our brand overall, we have a very small team. Um, our entire marketing team is five people, um, and of those five, we've got two who focus on social. Um, so we really do get a lot of freedom um, on what on what we can do. Um, you know. No Knock on wood, so far we haven't had any huge disasters, um, and so it's kind of a. I always feel like we're we're kind of we get to play with house money until we mess it up. <laughs> um, so fortunately, we haven't had anything go 
horribly, horribly wrong. Um, but we're very lucky because we don't have a huge legal team that we need to run things by. Um, we don't have a scenario where you know every post or every comment needs to be approved by 15 people. Um, and because of that, we're allowed to be more nimble than other brands. Um, you know, we can play around. Um, we, I think, have a little bit more levity than other brands as well. I think that one of the benefits as well is that the, the people who are in charge of protecting the brand overall and, you know, our C-level people um, understand that social media is important, but none of them really play in that field. Um, and so they've said, you know, go forth. We trust that you're going to do the right thing. Um, and uh, like I said, so far we haven't had any disasters. So. That's, that's always good. Speaking of going forth, and you mentioned Taco Bell a second ago, I've noticed that they do a lot on Snapchat, and A&W has accounts on Google+, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, YouTube, Instagram. How do you decide when to start using a new social channel, and do you guys have any plans to get into the Snapchat world? We do. Um, I'm glad you asked. That's actually something we've had a lot of conversations around over the past six months. Um, really for us, um, a lot of it, most of it in fact, is resource-based. So um, I never want to take the approach of we need to be everywhere and then not have a great presence or a plan on that platform. Um, we never wanted to be on Snapchat just for the sake of being on Snapchat. Uh, we knew if we were going to do it, we would like for there to be some structure behind it and some organization and to make sure that it's something that we could keep up as well. Um, so all of our social media is done in-house. We don't outsource anything. Uh, and it really is two people um, who work on all of the accounts. Um, I, I tend to fall on more of the, the planning and the strategy. Um, and then we've got another member of our marketing team, Spencer, who does more of the day-to-day -day management um, and execution. But um, Snapchat, I know that Taco Bell is having a lot of fun with it. I know that there's some other brands who have jumped on. Um, and so we have plans probably within the next three months to get that launched. So Liz, you're a pretty organized person, and, and this is not a small brand to be dealing with. with. With so many social channels, do you have a different plan for the way you use each one? Uh, and if so, could you give us sort of like a brief overview of what you do with each of those channels? You know, overall, we try to maintain a consistent brand voice online. So whether we're talking on Facebook or on Twitter or on Instagram, um, or on YouTube, or uh, you know, Tumblr, Snapchat, Vine, any of the others that you can think of, we do want there to be a consistency. We want it to feel authentic. Uh, we want it to feel like A&W and sound like A&W, uh, which is where having two people actually comes in pretty handy, because <laughs> you don't have to manage this team of 35 people and make sure that they're all saying the same thing. It's just the two of us. Of course. Um, but I'd say with, you know, it, we do look at our, our different audiences that we have. Um, so, you know, on Facebook, our, our fan base is largely uh, women. It's about 72% women, actually, currently. Um, and they typically are between the ages of, you know, 30 and 45. So um, a lot of moms are on there, um, a lot of people with young families. Um, Twitter tends to be a little bit more male-centric, a little bit younger. Um, and I think Twitter and, and Vine lend themselves to a bit more levity. Uh, you can be more playful. Um, and really, Twitter is where we find that we can do more of the throwing, throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks. Uh, something that comes to mind is, you know, occasionally we'll reach out to other brands and just see if they'll want to play along with us online. Um, one of our mascot, Rudy the Great Root Bears, uh, good Twitter friends is the Charmin Snuggle Bear. So uh, you can have a little bit more fun um, uh, on, on Twitter and Vine. 
Um, and then in terms of YouTube, we use it more as a more as a branding tool. Um, we repurpose a lot of our TV spots on there. Uh, we've also got a couple of episodes of a reality TV show that our mascot did. So the, the overall messaging is consistent, um, but we do tend to, to try and play to our audience as best as possible. Let's. Uh, I'm glad you brought up Rudy Bear. I want to talk about him for a second. Uh, some of your tweets are written from the perspective of Rudy Bear. Uh, <laughs> what is your process in developing the brand voice, and how do you control that? And, and further to that, how do you determine whether it's appropriate for the brand or Rudy to speak? Well, I can speak a little bit to the origin of Rudy on Twitter. Um, one of the very first things that I did when I started working for AW. Uh, when I took over the Twitter account, which I didn't have a ton of experience with, was I found out how mean people are on Twitter as well. <laughs> people go there to complain. Uh, you know, people uh, say whatever they think on Twitter. It was a, it was a much more vicious uh, platform than either our Facebook audience or, or any of the others. So it was kind of on a on a whim that I thought, well, what if we put a six foot pantsless bear in charge of our Twitter account, you know, could that bring a little bit more humor to the situation? Would people be nicer if they knew that they were tweeting to a bear? Um, and weirdly, they were. That's like the greatest intro to a marketing conversation that's ever happened in a boardroom in the history of America. <laughs> right. I think that this should be run by a pantsless bear, all in favor. Yeah, out, so... <laughs> outstanding. Outstanding. Continue. Sorry. So um, weirdly, it worked, which was great. Um, and so from there, you know, that's kind of when we were really getting our legs underneath us and figuring out what what AW's role could be on Twitter um, and what we could really use that platform for. Um, you know, a lot of it is things that are operationally actionable. Um, when you get complaints about cold food or slow service times, and we can find out which location that is. You know, we can do something about it, which is great. You can get in touch with that restaurant owner or operator. Um, and then going forward, um, you know, we we did realize that there were some things that, uh, if the account was run strictly by a bear, uh, might be a little bit limiting. Um, and so that's when we kind of switched over. And Rudy will now sign his tweets with his little carrot RB to let people know that um, that that's him who's responding. Um, but that's how he how he came about on Twitter is that we just put him in charge of all of our guest complaints, um, and he did a great job. <laughs> So aside from using the bear to do your dirty work, mm -hmm. um, A&W is known for having great customer service. How do you manage customer service through social? How do you use the different channels in different ways to, to get your customer service across? You know, we found that really the most important thing is to just listen to people. So many times we'll have people who will tell us a story about really the disappointment that they had if they didn't have a great experience at A&W. You know, one of our strengths is that we are a very, uh, very nostalgic brand, and people have really, really strong and impactful memories of, um, you know, going to A and W with their grandparents or having their first date at A and W. So the pressure is really on if they come back, you know, maybe 10 or 15 years later, they see an A and W on the side of the road they haven't been in a long time, um, and if they don't have a great experience, it really tarnishes that memory for them. So uh, we do our best to try and respond to every guest comment especially if it's something that is actionable. So if we can find out which location they visited, um, you know, if they did have long wait times, we'll get in touch with the owner and say, you know, what was the deal if we found out that somebody called in on shift or uh, there was a festival in town and they just got hit really hard, they got slammed for, for a certain period of time. Um, just being honest with our guests, um, but making sure that you follow up really um, has been the most important thing. Uh, I can't tell you how many times that we'll get back to someone on Twitter or respond to an email that we get through the website, and people are just shocked that a brand has even gotten back with them. 
Um, we've actually had a couple of scenarios where we have restaurants that might be um, an end cap in a strip mall or might be um, partnered with, a, with another restaurant and people will actually <laughs> come to us and ask, you know, well, there's a such and such breakfast place on the corner. I've been trying to get a hold of them for months. They won't get back to me. What can you guys do about that? So there are some limitations to what we can do. Um, <laughs> we're not trying to solve everybody's problems. But we've really found that listening to people um, and being open and honest and apologizing um, and trying to make things right really has been, been the best approach. So it sounds like given how much time and effort you put into customer service in, through digital marketing, how much do you divide your time between that and branding? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, you know, the, the customer service piece of it is really something that's always on. You know, unfortunately, we can't turn the Internet off at night or on the weekends or on the holidays. Um, but that's something that, uh, fortunately, smartphones have made it um, super easy to keep in touch all the time. Um, and so that's something that we monitor 24 hours a day. Um, and then in terms of the content that we push out and branding content, we've got some different parameters in place. Um, on Facebook, we don't like to post more than once a day. Um, occasionally it'll be twice, um, and that's a seven-day-a-week kind of thing. Uh, Twitter, we find you can put more content out there more frequently. Uh, YouTube, we typically upload maybe a video or two uh, once every one or two weeks. So it really depends on the platform, uh, but Twitter by far requires the, the most maintenance and babysitting. Like you said, so customer service kind of happens 24 hours a day. Do you have somebody who's sitting on top of social all day long? Uh, there's just the two of us <laughs> um, for now. Um, so we, you know, we're not on 24 hours a day. Um, it is the last thing that I check before I go to bed and the first thing that I do when I wake up in the morning. Um, and I know that Spencer is the same way. But we do our best. Uh, and really we try to get back to everybody within 24 or 48 hours. Um, and if you keep on top of it, uh, it's not a completely overwhelming task. You know, when it can become really daunting is after uh, a long weekend or, um, you know, if either of us goes on vacation, we know that the, the other one is going to have to pick up the slack. So it uh, definitely, definitely requires some time and effort. So I want to go, go back to Rudy for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I, I enjoy some of the lighthearted fun here. Uh, at one point, the, the great American root bear, as he's known, had his own LinkedIn profile. And in fact, if I, I think I'm correct, he was the first mascot to have an official LinkedIn profile. C can you tell us about what happened there, where that came from, how it ended, the whole nine yards? Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, Rudy was the first mascot on LinkedIn. Um, I'd seen something recently about the Colonel uh, being the first mascot on LinkedIn, and that is in fact not the case. Part of part of the whole uh, Rudy origin story, as we can call it, um, Rudy has been with the brand since 1974 in some capacity or another. Um, he's been used in some markets uh, more than other markets, um, especially in some of our overseas. Uh, overseas markets in Southeast Asia, he's always been very closely tied with the brand. Um, AW in the United States has been under some different ownership changes, and one of the ownership groups um, really didn't utilize him at all. And so when the, when the company uh, was taken under new management in 2011, uh, one of the first things that we talked about as a marketing initiative was we have to bring back the bear. Uh, there were serious conversations that focused around this bear. So um, Really, the, the joke that we wanted to tell was that, of course, he's a bear. He's been missing. What has he been doing? He's been hibernating for the last 10 years. Um, we wanted to bring him back out of retirement. And it's sort of the story really wrote itself because there's so much fun that you can have with him. Um, first of all, I don't even 
think I'm biased, but he is the best mascot out there. Um, he's not a creepy clown. He's not some sort of a weird, um, you know, humanoid, uh, humanoid sort of thing. He's, a, he's this giant bear who wears a golf hat and an orange sweater. He's great. So since he's been hibernating for 10 years, you know, a lot of things have changed since Rudy hasn't been around. Um, one of them being technology and the internet and social media. And so we've done a little video series, um, you know, introducing him back into the office, uh, teaching him about technology, um, trying to get him up to date on pop culture, um, trying to explain the phenomenon that is Justin Bieber to him, all of these kind of fun things. Um, and so uh, working, with our, um, working with our agency here in Lexington, um, uh, we sort of played with the idea of let's get Rudy on LinkedIn. How ridiculous would it be if uh, you know he connected with a bunch of people and wrote all of these really crazy endorsements um, and recommendations for them? And let's just see where it goes. You know, it was pretty low risk. Um, and so almost immediately, LinkedIn caught wind of it um, and kicked him off. And so then we did a rebuttal video. Um, they, their claim was that he wasn't actually real. Uh, he wasn't a real person. So uh, we had some fun with that. That was one of the one of the first projects that we worked on with Rudy. Um, but it was so fun just sitting around and thinking of these crazy recommendations that he could write for people, and you know, sending these out to CEOs of like very serious companies, and just kind of seeing who would play with us. I'm almost bummed I didn't get one, but I think that's a great way. You know, going back to our first question is, you know, how do you bring a classic brand into a digital age? Like, there's a perfect example. Uh, so, so going back a second, uh, you know, you say you're talking about you know knowing who your guests are and who's on this platform. It sounds to me like you spend a lot of time in analytics. Mm -hmm. um, when you look at the impact that Rudy Bear and the mascot has on your social campaigns, can you see you know have you seen where it makes sense to use him and where it doesn't? Are analytics backing up those decisions? Uh, yeah, actually, um, you know we've we've found that. Um, Rudy has a, a, a time and a place he's not appropriate to use in every single campaign that we do. Um, but he's really got a lot of universal appeal. Um, it's something that adults and children uh, respond to well. Um, and it's something that's fun because it's, it's something that our restaurants can get on board with as well. Um, a lot of our restaurants have their own mascot costumes. Um, and so it's it's kind of been fun to write this backstory for the bear, and uh, people get really passionate about being Rudy across the country as well. A lot of restaurants have that one that one person who is their go-to Rudy, um, who who has a lot of fun with it. Um, we've included him in some offline ventures as well. Um, last year we featured him on some print pieces. Uh, that went out with one of our national print drops. Um, he appears occasionally in our in-store point of purchase materials as well. Um, we find he goes very well with desserts. Um, our dessert line is called our sweets and treats line, um, and that's not quite as serious as like you know the very serious bacon cheeseburger. Uh, we haven't done anything with Rudy, uh, Rudy and a burger just yet. So he seems to play well in the dessert realm. Um, but we do keep a close eye, uh, especially when we're making video content. Rudy really seems to lend himself well to videos. Uh, we find a video that features Rudy will get more playtime. Um, we can make those longer. Most of our TV spots are 15 or 30 seconds. Um, with Rudy videos, we can stretch that out to maybe 90 seconds or two minutes. Um, so we do keep an eye on, on how people are responding. Um, it's also uh, in terms of photo content, uh, we find that the two kinds of photos that perform the best on any platform, uh, number one by far is the iconic A&W mug 
Uh, that does really, really well. People love that. Um, and then the second thing is Rudy. So he gets uh, he gets our engagement numbers up quite a bit. That is awesome. So let, let's take that question one one more layer deep. In terms of using analytics, how often are you looking at your overall analytics as far as it goes to making your day-to-day plans? We do. Um, we look at analytics daily, um, but in terms of doing a deeper dive and really doing like year-over-year comparisons and taking a close look at like what was the specific piece of content, you know, what was the message that we had on the website. How can we correlate all of this traffic? Um, we do um, a deeper dive about once a week, and then once a month, um, we'll block off an, an entire day and just go through analytics and look at what's performing the best, um, where people were coming from, where we may have lost people, um, and then we use all of that in uh, all of our content planning going forward. Wow, once a week is pretty intense, especially for such a small team. It is. Uh, I'm a huge data nerd. Um, I love that kind of stuff, and so um, it's been great having uh, you know the, the other member of our team who does the the more day-to-day execution and management allows me to kind of step aside and, and look big picture a little bit more, since he's the one who then has to has to sit on Twitter and monitor all the all the feedback that's coming in and do all the responses and all that good stuff. So fortunately, we love data. So you've talked a lot about how different channels have different goals and you approach them in different ways. You know, Rudy isn't taking over Facebook. He's mostly handling Twitter. And um, so I'm wondering, you know, I'm looking over your YouTube page now. It's it's a very difficult channel for anyone, let alone brands, to really make any headway with. Mm -hmm. And a lot of your videos have really good engagement. Um, I was wondering, what what's your main goal with YouTube? We look at YouTube um, largely as a way to repurpose content that we're producing for other avenues. So for every sales event that we do, um, we produce a TV spot um, so that our franchise partners can purchase. Um, we don't do any uh, media purchases on a local level. Um, we leave that up to our operators. Um, and TV is really expensive, <laughs> um, especially in some of the, the markets that we have restaurants in. Definitely, yeah. And national television is not something that we do currently. We have no plans to do national television in the near future or ever. Um, it's cost prohibitive. And for us, even though we are a national brand, we've got very strong regional presence, uh, very heavy in the upper Midwest, um, some out on the West Coast, but not so much in like the New England area or even in the South. So doing a national TV buy just doesn't make any sense for us. But we produce these really great spots, and, and we love them. We think that they're really high quality. Um, you know, we're very proud of our food photography and the creative that goes into it. So YouTube has really been an avenue for us to say, well, we've got all of this content. We just don't really know what to do with it. Um, unfortunately, the 15-second TV spot seems to be that sweet spot for YouTube pre-roll. Um, so we've had some really, really great numbers with that. Um, another thing that we invested in this year for the first time was using the Tube Mobile software to um, even amplify that message further so that we're not only advertising our TV spots on YouTube, but then to the rest of the Internet as well. Um, and then we've got plans for next year. We're going to make some updates to our website. Um, and make it more product-focused, product-specific, um, highlight our sales events a little bit better. And so there are plans to then uh, repurpose those videos again um, into some regular uh, website content that we have. So that's really where YouTube started was, look, we've got this great content, but not a whole lot of people are seeing it. Um, how can we remedy that? Um, and then, of course, uh, with bringing back the bear and him having his own reality TV show and uh, some fun little spots that he did just seem to be a natural fit. 
Mm-hmm. A big part of you know, national TV commercials for bigger brands is like bringing celebrities in and, and doing things that are, I think, probably cost prohibitive for them, but they do it anyway, which is, I'm sure, a mistake. But YouTube has its own ecosystem filled with its own celebrities that, I, I don't want to call them discount celebrities because they do a good job doing what they do, but some of them are food-related. And I just when I typed A&W into the YouTube search bar, you've got guys who've devoted videos upon videos getting tens of thousands of views to reviewing positively A&W food. Mm-hmm. Guys, guys like Dame Drops, and I'm seeing a guy called KBD Productions. Would you ever be open to doing cross-promotional things with people like that? 100%. 100%. Um, we are fortunate in that we've got, um, you know, we've got a great fan base overall, but we have, uh, a, there's a small segment of our fan base that is just ridiculously passionate about the brand, which is awesome. Uh, we actually recently rolled out... Um, a super secret, which won't be anymore since I'm about to talk about it, a super secret brand ambassador program. So what we've done is we've identified um, the top really 25 A&W fans that we have online uh, and we've reached out to those people who are already producing A&W content for us, um, at largely positive A&W content. Um, and we're, we're fascinated by the idea of influencer marketing um, and really how we can take advantage of that. So there's a couple of people who we really feel like could be up-and-coming YouTube stars who are really just starting to get their feet wet. And they love the brand, and they live by an A&W. They can go to a restaurant, and they get so excited with, um, you know, little things like sneak peeks at new products, um, you know, giving them a scoop on what's about to come out, you know, next month before anybody else, uh, letting them try products ahead of time. So it's something that we've just started over the last couple of months. It's going to be a big focus for 2016 on what we can do with that and how we can develop it. But we love having that kind of interaction with our, our fans. And you really you really can't put a price on it either. It's so much more powerful when messaging like that comes from somewhere outside of a brand um, because that's, you know, they're consumers. They're the people who love the product. They're the people who are buying the product anyway. So it just makes sense that we would turn to them and say, all right, well, you guys are already doing a great job you know, helping us spread the message, how can we help you do it more? I mean, I think that's incredible. That's how, when I make a determination, as if my opinion matters that much, about which brands are really on the cutting edge of what's going on, things like working with influencers is number one. And I'm super stoked to see what you guys do with that. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we've got some great people in the program, um, and it's it's just, it's so rewarding as well. Um, you know, if we, we send them out uh, an email or ask them to, you know, review a new product for us, and sometimes within a few hours, they'll be sending us videos of them going to a store and just being so excited about it. So it's, it's fun for everybody. Have any of them drank more than 21 mugs of root beer in an hour? That title is still yours. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, that was an awesome day when I think I was 16 when I did that, but my stomach has never hurt so much. Uh, I, I can re- only imagine. I regret nothing. Uh, but, but with that, Liz, uh, we like to close out our show with a couple of questions that we ask all of our guests. Uh, and it will not be how many root beers have you drank in an hour. Uh, <laughs> And, and this one could also be a stinger question, but what was your favorite burger from childhood? Ooh, that is a great question. Um, my favorite burger from childhood was the legendary burger at the Hard Rock Cafe. Um, growing up, uh, my, my father is in the, the food industry, um, has always been in the restaurant industry, and going out to eat was a really big treat. Um, didn't happen very often. Usually it was based around a good report card or a birthday. Um, and that legendary burger from the Hard Rock Cafe, that was like, if I got all A's, that was what I could look forward to. I'm a, I'm a fan of food rewards. <laughs> it works really well. 
And Liz, what was the best burger you've had recently? The best burger I've had recently, I actually had today. Um, one of my favorite job perks that I have is that our A&W Test Kitchen is in the building. Um, and we were downstairs playing around with different combos for an upcoming, um, potential upcoming limited time offer. Uh, we were testing uh, burgers with coleslaw on them in all kinds of different iterations, and they were delicious. I don't know that I'm a coleslaw fan, uh, but I'm excited to hear that there is new A&W burgers coming. So. Oh, yeah, something cool will be coming next year, I promise. <laughs> I, and you know what? Knowing you, Liz, I guarantee that that is a, a promise you'll keep. Uh, <laughs> last question we're going to ask today, what is the one piece of advice you would give to someone in the food marketing business? I think the probably the best advice that I've gotten um, is really find what's unique to your brand and what's unique about what you have to offer. Um, really think think long and hard about what your overall message is. Um, there should be some kind of filter that you have, uh, whether it's written down or it's just something that you keep in mind um, with every decision that you make about not only what goes on online, but really any brand decisions. If you have a filter that you can run ideas through um, and sort of have a checklist of, you know, is it authentic? Uh, does it highlight the product? Um, is it in line with what our guests are looking for? Um, I think that that's incredibly helpful. Um, and then really the other thing is, especially with online and with social media, don't take yourself too seriously. Um, of course, um, I love my job. I'm, you know, uh, being true to our operators and our restaurant owners is extremely important to me, but at the end of the day, we're selling food. We're selling burgers and fries and root beer floats, and it should be fun. Um, and so I think that any way that you can insert humor or a little bit of of levity or irreverence into it um, goes a really long way. That's great advice. Um, Liz, thanks so much for being on. Can you just uh, tell everybody where they can find out all about A&W Restaurants? Absolutely. So follow us um, on all of our social channels, uh, Facebook at A&W Restaurants. Our Twitter handle is at A&W Restaurants, as is our Instagram handle. Um, we've also got uh, platforms on Vine. Um, our YouTube channel is A&W Mug Club. Um, and then Snapchat will be along probably in the next three months. Um, and if anyone wants to talk to me online, because I'm also online as my own human, uh, you can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at AskPLiz. Awesome. Liz, uh, a lot of great advice, a lot of great insight, a lot of great ideas here. Uh, I'm kind of blown away at how much you do and how in-depth your thinking goes. Uh, for having such a small team with such a large brand. It's really, really impressive. Uh, and I think people are going to appreciate what they learned from you today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. Now, let's get an A&W near New York City so that Brad and I can go have some root beer and some, and some burgers. I'm right on top of that. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Like, Bite, and Share. We hope you found today's interview insightful. If you didn't get a chance to write down everything, no worries. We take the show notes for you. Go to schweidandsons.com slash podcast to find them. If you enjoy the show, we ask for one favor, and that's please give us a rating in iTunes. That helps us to spread the word to others who might find this valuable like you do. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss a future episode featuring helpful tips from other professionals in the food marketing business. Stay hungry.